transforming no matter what our life is like. He's the one who changes us. Open your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 18. If you would, I'm uh, going to do a three-week short series on kingdom relationships. Uh, why do I use the term kingdom relationships rather than Christian? Because the term Christian has become so diluted, it, it means almost nothing. You know, I heard someone say the other day that it, aren't Christians supposed to be tolerant? I thought, no, that was never the plan. It was never tolerant, it was love, which is a whole lot more than tolerant. Yet someone had de determined we're going to reduce Christianity to just this general tolerance of anything and everything. They don't understand the, the Word of God at all. So uh, we want to actually see what does the Bible actually say. Little uh, disclaimer and apology. A few weeks ago, I was talking about entering the presence of God, and I, and I was using the uh, priest as an illustration and that they had to prepare it to go in, and that they had bells on the end of their, deal, uh, their robes. And I said that they actually had a, a rope tied to their ankle, which is actually from Jewish commentaries, not actually from the Bible. And so someone challenged me and said, where is that in the Bible? And uh, we both looked and couldn't find it, and so I'm telling you it's not in the Bible. Uh, but we want to know what the Bible actually does say. So... <laughs> My apology. We want the Bible. Turn to Matthew 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That's actually a relational question because it's where do I fit in relationship to someone else? But it also gives a hint to their thinking and their background because the world's way of relating has to do with comparison and competition. And they're exposing that when they say, who's the greatest? Who's above someone or better than someone or greater than someone and then who's less? And so Jesus uses this question to speak a whole chapter on kingdom relationships. Okay? I want you to hear that because We've taken a, a part of this chapter out of context and made it something it was never meant to be. And I'll tell you what that is in, in a few moments. Just stay with me. So Jesus called the little child to him and set him in the midst of them. He said, Assur assuredly, I say to you, unless you're converted and become like a little children, as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is setting a kingdom mentality for relationships. He's basically saying it's not comparison and competition. It actually starts with humbling yourself. That word humbling is to make yourself low, to go low, to, to not try and compete, not try and be better. That's totally contrary to how the world works. But that's what Jesus is saying. Now, obviously, Jesus did that, if you read Philippians 2. He didn't count equality with God something to be held onto, but emptied himself, humbled himself, 
You've heard me say before that humility unlocks grace. It's one of the keys to the kingdom. Humility unlocks grace. As we humble ourselves, God's opposed to the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. So there's something in the kingdom relationships that is released and unlocked when we take the low road and humble ourselves. There's something that is bound when we take pride and say, I'm better. He goes on and says, whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. The second key to kingdom relationships is acceptance. It's receiving. It's basically saying every person has value and, and I can receive something from them. So you can't do that if you haven't done the first, which is to humble yourself. If you're looking at yourself as being superior, then you say, well, she doesn't have anything to say to me. But when you've already humbled yourself, you can say, hey, I can receive. And then he goes on and he talks a, a little bit about that, but I'm going to jump for the sake of time to verse 10. He says, take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. The third key to kingdom relationships is honor. Honor. Don't despise a little one. It's something of honoring. There's this concept that has somehow crept into much of the church that says we have to honor leaders for some reason. Actually, it's a very Old Testament concept. And then we even use terms like don't touch God's anointed. But the New Testament says we're to honor each other and everyone is God's anointed. Because we don't have a hierarchical leadership but the idea is, do I honor people? Remember, we're talking about kingdom relationships built on a foundation of humility, which releases grace and love. Acceptance and honor. You still with me? And then Jesus throws in the middle of this a kind of illustration. Verse 15. He says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. He's actually saying, when that doesn't work right, how do we deal with it? This whole chapter is about kingdom relationships. Let me tell you, this portion is not about church discipline. It's about kingdom relationships. Now, why do I say that so strongly? Because for years, that's what I thought, that's what I was taught, and that's what I taught She'll actually read the Bible and went, well, that's not actually there. So it says, I'm going to make a couple of points here because I want you to get this. If your brother sins against you, now understand, term brother is generic for everyone. Not only men who can sin. Some of you are sure that that was the case. That's what it said. If your brother sins against you, therefore, it has to be only made consent because it doesn't say your sister, but it's generic. It means anyone. And it says this, if your brother or sister sins against you. Now, if you have an NIV, write in against you there because for some reason the NIV left that out. Don't know why. It's there in the Greek. It's there in every other translation. 
But if you leave that out, what it says is if your brother sins, go to him alone. It takes it out of the realm of restoring relationships and put it, puts it in the realm of behavioral police. If my brother sins, I should go point it out to him. As if there's an opening in the Trinity and God's looking for someone to take the place of the Holy Spirit <laughs> who convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. There's this belief that, oh, I have to do that because the Holy Spirit's not capable so I better go tell him if he's got a problem. But it actually says if your brother sins against you, I believe 75% of problems in the church would be solved if we just understood that part. If Steve sins against me, I need to go talk to him. It's not my place to have to deal with him if he's done something against him. Seventy-five percent of relationships would be a whole lot better. See, because once we do that, we become the sin police. We've got to keep an eye out. Who's sinning? We'll talk about that a little bit more later. But if your brother sins against you, go tell him his faults between you and him alone. That's the other 25% of relational problems. If Steve sins against me, the Bible mandate is very clear. I go to him. I don't go tell Tim. Hear me. What happens when I go tell Tim? Tim is put in a place, he either has to agree with me and take on my offense, or he has to tell me, don't talk to me. If I go to Steve, we can be restored. But once Tim takes on my offense, they can't be restored. Because how can Tim go to Steve and say, I have this against you? Because he didn't sin against him. Are you still with me? I'm being serious, but I'm telling you. Jesus wants a church that's beautiful. And that's, this is how it gets to be that. Not just because we are lovely people, but we actually build our lives. The pattern, as Kate was saying in prayer earlier, God's pattern. So if your brother sins against you, go to him alone. And tell him his fault between you and him alone. Let me tell you, it says if your brother sins against you. Sin isn't something that just irritates me. Sin is against God. Now what if uh, Steve does something that irritates me? I just need to have grace. I just need to be mature. I just need to say, hey, we're all growing in this church, you've got people who just got saved to people who have been saved for a lot of years. I really appreciated uh, Taryn's sermon a couple of weeks ago, and she started out with a little video, Not Too Old for Gold. I thought that was a little subtle jab <laughs> towards some of us. <laughs> Those of you who didn't pick that up, you, you've got it now. We're not too old. But no matter how long you've been along, 
have been around. We need grace for each other. Humility releases grace. So if someone does something that just is kind of irritating, maybe they just need to grow. And what do I do? As Tim says, I just get over it. I have enough grace. I have grace for people who are weird. That's why I'm friends with Tim and Kate. <laughs> you have grace for people who are weird. Otherwise, you wouldn't keep coming here. You still with me? So Jesus, in the midst of this whole chapter on relationship, says, what happens if it doesn't go right? This is how we approach it. Then it says this. But if he hears you, you've gained your brother. Not you've won him over. You've gained him, meaning you've been restored in relationship. Again, if you have the NIV and it says, if he hears you, you won him over, cross it out and write in gained. Because the NIV puts it, again, if your brother sins... Go to him alone and tell him his fault. And if he hears you, you will have won him over. Takes it out of relationship. But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. It doesn't mean what you think it means. It doesn't mean take someone who can join with you to point out to this person how wrong they are. What are they witnesses of? They're not witnesses of the original offense. They're witnesses of your heart attitude of humility, acceptance, and honoring and trying to restore relationship. That's the only thing they're witnesses of. This is not a court case. Yet when we take it out of relationship and put it in the realm of church discipline, it becomes a court case. I've got these people who are backing my position against Johan, and we're going to gang, gang up on him and show him how we're right and he's wrong. And that's not what it's about. It's about these are witnesses to acknowledge that I'm coming with a humble heart. I've lowered myself. I'm receiving, accepting, and honoring this person, even though they've sinned against me, so that we can be restored in relationship. I've gone to him alone with that heart attitude already. He hasn't heard, so I take someone else to witness what? Not the original offense. What if there's no one there? Then I take people that I've told. Steve did something against me, so I have to tell Tim. So Tim gets on my side. And then I tell Mary, and she gets on my side. And then we come and we jump on Steve. No, they're, they're witnesses that say, we've done this with the right heart attitude. Our goal is the restoration of relationship. Again, almost all the relational tension in the body would be removed if we'd simply live according to the word. Real simple. But it goes on. If he refuses to hear them, tell that to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, 
Let him beat you like a heathen and a tax collector. This does not mean to excommunicate them. See, when we take this in the realm of church discipline, that's what we've been taught. It means to kick them out of the church, and many churches have done that. Okay, the Catholic Church used that scripture, and basically, in much of the church, if you weren't in right keeping in, with the church in the 1500s, then you could actually be excommunicated, which means you couldn't be saved, which also meant that nobody could do business with you. So you couldn't live. And so we've carried that over, and we think that's what it means. But taken out of this context, how would we as a church approach heathens and tax collectors? Will we tell them, don't come to church? If I see you on the street, I'm going to pass you by. No, we'd pray for them. That they could be redeemed and restored. It's not about kicking people out of church. I'll tell you next week why we get to that point. But it actually becomes that we're more concerned with behavioral modification than internal transformation. But I don't have time for that this morning. We'll get there. That's, that, that's why there's more than one week of this. And it goes on and say, Surely I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's not talking about praying. It's talking about the, the power of unity. Again, I say to you, if two or three of you agree on anything concerning uh, agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I, there am I in the midst of them. He's talking about the unity that comes from right relationship. We pull that out of the context and we think, oh, this is about prayer. No, he's talking about relationship. He's talking about being restored. And he said, when we're restored, there is this unity that is amazing. Nothing will be impossible. And then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? That was quite a lot. If you read this in Luke, he says, how often will my brother sin against me and repent and I forgive him? I'm going to make a point there, and then I'm going to come back to this, if it's okay. There's two forgivenesses talked about in the New Testament. Okay, there is a forgiveness. I'm going to call it forgiveness one, which basically is my heart attitude that releases people from my judgment, releases them to God. So no matter what happens, if, if someone's done something against me, I can forgive them, which means I release them. Now, hear me, that is a one-sided thing. And it's not about the restoring of relationship. It's about releasing myself from judgment and not allowing bitterness to enter. There is another forgiveness that is coupled with repentance. If someone sins against me and repents, I forgive them, and then I'm restored to relationship. You have to understand the two Otherwise, you make it impossible for people to forgive. Because too often we say, forgive and forget. Pretend like nothing ever happened. But if you're the victim of abuse, and someone says, just forgive them. 
Forget about it. Pretend like nothing ever happened. You're crazy if you're going to put yourself back in the place where you will be abused again. But if there's a heartfelt repentance, there's a forgiveness that can be a restoring of relationship. Are you still with me? You have to get that. I don't know how often I've heard people say, I can't forgive. Because they're talking about forgiveness one, but they're understanding forgiveness two. That if I forgive, I have to put myself back in that place of being hurt again. That's just stupid. Even God doesn't forgive without repentance, relation-wise. But I can release people from judgment so that bitterness doesn't become part of a, a destructive, toxic uh, work in my soul. Someone said bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. So there's something there of God saying, just release it to me. But the other side of that is there's something of a restoring of relationship that comes, and that's what we're talking about. I want you to understand that context. Peter said, and Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but to 70 times seven. That was just like crazy. How could you do that? You better have humbled yourself. You better have something of the grace of God at work in your life. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. I'm going to change this a little bit. It's, it's a parable Jesus is using as an illustration. I'm going to say, there was this king, Jesus, who wanted to settle accounts. And when he began to settle accounts, one was brought to him named Russ, who owed him 10,000 talents. I had a debt beyond what I could pay. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children, that all he had, and that payments be made. And the servant, therefore, Russ fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I'll pay you all. Which is stupid, because there was no way he ever could. Russ is stupid. <laughs> then the master of that servant was moved with compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. Jesus said to Russ, you can never pay this. I forgive you. And I release you of everything you owe. I've paid it for you. But Russ, being the stupid guy that he was, went out and found one of his fellow servants, Steve, who owed him 100 denarii, which is almost nothing. Laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. I, I just wanted to do this. <laughs> pay me what you owe! So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you off. Exactly the same words. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were very grieved and came and told the master all that had been done. And his master called him and said, You wicked servant, Russ, I forgave you all that debt. Because you begged me. 
should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Jesus said, kingdom relationships. Foundation is humility that releases grace. Acceptance, honor, and forgiveness. And he throws in this illustration in the middle. If someone sins against you, what do you do? You go to them alone. The whole idea of being forgiven. When they repent, you don't go to make them feel bad. You go so that you can be restored. And if you refuse to forgive when they repent, you're in big trouble. Because you give place to the enemy in your life. When the story ends, Russ is still in jail because he refused to forgive. Let me tell you, if you refuse to forgive, you end up in jail. It's not the other person that gets hurt. It's you. Now, understand, we're talking about kingdom. We're talking about people who are submitted to the king, who know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, this doesn't apply to you because the world functions totally different. But we need to be very careful we don't bring the world's concept into the church. I'm going to ask you to bow your head for a moment just so you have a time to deal with the Lord alone. As I was preparing this, and I planned this in January, God spoke to me about kingdom relationships. I felt the Holy Spirit said a couple things. One, there are people here, and unfortunately you have been the victim of the church discipline approach. I'm going to call it spiritual abuse that says we can control you or we can make you what... We'll talk more about what's behind that next week. But I want to ask you, just in the grace of God, if you would just forgive if you haven't. But maybe you've been the perpetrator of that church discipline. I'm going to ask you if you would just repent and forgive. I have. I've had to deal with this because I was taught something and I applied it and it actually doesn't represent Jesus' heart for people. Unfortunately, many of us have been hurt in relationships that weren't built on kingdom values. Maybe we thought they were, but we found out that they weren't. And all I can say is that Jesus can redeem us and restore us. There's no situation that's too hard. I'm not saying that he'll fix the relationship because there's other people's choices involved. But it doesn't have to 
control the rest of your life. It might have felt like a storm around you. And in running into Jesus, as Christine was saying, you, you get into that eye of the storm. It doesn't make the storm less of a storm. It just means that you're in that place where it doesn't affect you. You're not controlled by past relationships or past hurts. The other side of that is, folks, what a church will be when we actually begin to build according to the Word of God. And when someone sins against you, you go to them alone. And if someone comes to you and starts to say something about someone else, just say, have you talked to them? If you haven't talked to them, don't talk to me. Oh, but they might get offended. Let them get offended. Rather offend someone than Jesus. Because we're teaching them to do the right, build the right way. Holy Spirit, would you just come? You who pour the love of God in our hearts, would you pour? Where there's been hurt, where there's been disappointment, where there's been breakdown and failure, would you just pour the love of God? That healing balm.